Welcome to The Quiet Life. I'm Michael James Wong, meditation teacher, author, founder of Just Breathe, and your host for this podcast. Now it goes without saying that we're living in an uncertain time where everything is changing rapidly. We're living day to day, unsure of the road that lies ahead. And things are getting a little or a lot quieter. So join me on this podcast as we speak to experts and inspiring voices about home practices for your mind and mental health during this time of uncertainty. Listen in as they share their thoughts and daily practices you can do wherever you are. Welcome to The Quiet Life. Welcome to this week's episode of the Quiet Life podcast, and uh, I'd like to welcome you all back to this conversation. As always, my name is Michael James Wong, and I'm your host for these conversations. And every single week, we have an opportunity to speak to um, inspiring and impactful voices from around the world who I really believe are doing something to really support all of us, not just in these times now, but in the work that they do to to really create a sense of community and connection out there in the world. And today, I'm very excited to uh, be on the podcast in a conversation with Hector Garcia. And Hector is the author of the internationally best-selling book, Ikigai, which is the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. And someone who I've uh, now recently have considered a friend and someone who I've had a conversation with and someone I'm really inspired by. So thank you, Hector, for joining us today. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I'm doing fine, I can say, like in another day here in Tokyo. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, I'm based here in London. and This is where we're recording this episode of, of the podcast. But um, Hector, you live in Tokyo and you've lived in Tokyo for a long time, but you're uh, originally from, from elsewhere. I mean, for people who haven't maybe come across you too much or maybe have only heard of uh, the work that you do, I mean, can you give us just a little bit of background about uh, kind of who you are and where you're at right now and, and even how life is like in Tokyo for a, for you? So I was I was born and raised in in Spain in a beautiful Mediterranean very little village next to the sea which is uh, when I look it in retrospective I I had a very very beautiful like I I was there 18 years the first 18 years of my life and it was paradise I've been traveling all around the world after that and I believe is one of the most beautiful places I know. Maybe it's because I'm from there. I don't know, but it's uh, I love that place. It's next to the sea, but I felt something when I was young. I felt like I had to live and explore the world and learn about different cultures. And I didn't know where to go, but what I had clear in my mind is that I wanted to to live somewhere and i ended up in japan so that's that's the very 
like my story i it could it could have been somewhere else i didn't have japan in mind but somehow after i graduated like i had lots of luck i got accepted in an internship in japan when i was uh, 23 years old right and the rest is since i am i've been tw now i'm 39 so i've been more than a third i'm starting to count it will have been more than a third of my life in japan and i'm starting to feel at the beginning when i arrived to japan i had this thing called cult cultural shock yeah which is uh, like you see everything is so different that sometimes there this is something we could talk about that some that there's different attitudes when you travel somewhere else and you find cultural shock you can get annoyed sometimes because it's not like you like you feel should be in your culture or you can be amazed like how different it is and now for me what's happening is like when i go back to europe when i go back to spain to my home country i'm feeling i call it i don't know if this is a, a correct word but i call it reverse cultural shock i'm from spain but now when i go back to spain i'm i'm amazed on on how we are in fact i'm i'm, I'm learning about spanish culture more now that 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 when i was there because you are when you are a fish inside the sea and you've never been outside, you don't understand what it is to be inside the sea. So now I, I'm, I'm learning about my own culture when I go back to Spain. I feel the reverse cultural shock and I feel like, oh wow, this is how Spanish people are. We are so noisy and we are so, sometimes we are so lazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I see it with uh, yeah i try not to judge it like okay this is how we are and it's also good i try to look for the good in all cultures that's my common theme because there if you start to look for the bad in each culture there is things to criticize everywhere in japan in spain everywhere and that's that's my personal philosophy i i write books and some of them might have more truth or less but i try to i try to show the good in cultures and people yeah i mean that's an amazing um journey that you've been on and actually i mean when we first spoke a few weeks ago we actually didn't uh, talk about that as much and, and you and i are i would say are very similar because um i'm not sure if i mentioned this last time we spoke is i'm i was actually born in new zealand and my family is Chinese, but at a very early age, at around um, four years old, we moved to Los Angeles, and so I grew up in California. But then, uh, I mean, it, 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 I'm going to say, I think it was about 2008, I left there and moved to Australia for four years, and then now I've been living in London in the UK since 2011. And so in many ways, this whole kind of cultural shock aspect, I totally understand where you're coming from, because maybe for me, it's not as, uh, maybe not as extreme coming from going from Spain to, to Japan, because obviously those cultures are very uh, uniquely different. But for me, I have that understanding of what it means to feel like, uh, you know, everything is new or different or shocking at times. 
because of how much we feel we know growing up or how much we learn when we're abroad and then even when we go home and it's you know i'm the same way as i'm like oh all americans are quite loud and you know they have a, a different attitude but at the same time for me i have lived um you know now at this point you know 12 13 years of my life outside the u.s or even probably i guess if you add those first years in new zealand almost 15, 16 years outside of the U.S. And so, you know, again, the same way, almost a third of my life. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a very unique perspective that maybe we, we find and we receive being in different places. And you mentioned when you arrived first in Japan that you had kind of a first internship that, that drew you there. What, what was that internship for? It was so I'm more like, how would I say, prof I, I'm a software engineer. Right. So okay. I was working in a, a research lab doing speech recognition systems, which was before I don't know now. Now, now speech recognition is very good. At, the, at those times, it was very early stage. So that was it. Was a very nerdy beginning. I was in fact before that. I was uh, during a brief time. I was in Switzerland too in the uh, particle accelerator CERN I was there also as a software engineer so uh, that's also part of my life I've been I studied software engineering like compute we call it com well, computer science in Spain and I tended through my 20s I was very logical I would say I don't know if this is good explanation but, but yeah my brain was very like solving problems all the time I, I like the thrill of solving problems with my computer building systems building websites uh, creating software and that was part of my i'm going to say that was my my ikigai my purpose in life was it was what i enjoyed the most and after i think after i was 30 i've started to change or I'm trying to change. I think I need advice from you with about this. Uh, I'm trying to change in the direction of uh, becoming more. I realized that being so logical, it was good, but at some point I felt disconnected from my, I can say my feelings or my body. I was always in my brain. Mm. I don't know if, if it makes sense. And that transition made me started to, I started to write. Writing was, well, b before that I started, I bought cameras. Uh, photography became my hobby, which I think photography is a great hobby to, to move from a very, if you are very logical photography, the camera is still a very nerdy gadget that you have many things to learn as an engineer. Uh, for example, photo retouching or how to use the camera correctly. But if you really want to take good pictures, uh, there is nothing. You can read 100 books about photography or learn all the mechanics of a camera. And another person who feels, so who knows how to see the world, so how to be aware, will take better pictures than you. So using the camera i started to become a little bit more of an artist 
I still believe that I'm I'm still very logical, but mm -hmm. photography was kind of like my first pathway. Oh, this is how I can do things also without being, uh, yeah, I'm going to use like being in front of my computer programming things in a perfect way. Like there is things after, like there are different things there. And after photography, I started writing too. And writing became my therapy for myself. It helps my heart and to connect more with my with who I am, I think, at this stage of my life. So yeah, this is like you, you call it also like the left side of your brain and the right side of your brain. So I've been like very logical for half of like many years and now I'm trying to push the other way. I don't know if successfully or not, but yeah, I'm trying to push it the other way to to be more connected with, to connect more my mind, my feelings and my body. You you can notice that I, I, I jump from one subject to another. No, I think that's a really great way that you put it. And I think what's really nice about kind of this understanding is that even with a lot of the practices, when we look at how we are becoming more uh, maybe mindful in our lives, more attentive in the things we're doing or being more creative and exploring. Uh, I think you, I mean, you, you say it very, uh, very articulately that in this effect, uh, it, it very much isn't about trying to be successful at being more creative. And I think it very much what you, what you've done and what we're talking about is this, you know, you, you had a very distinct moment in your life of being more aware and wanting to expand that awareness, not just from the logical, analytical side of your brain, but to to lean into the creativity or lean into the exploration and discovery, which for you kind of came out as photography and writing. And um, I mean, what was that kind of early writing journey like for you? You obviously didn't just naturally sit down on day one and, and write a book. Was it you know, you wrote short things, things about your day, things about Japan. I mean, what types of things were you writing about that kind of served you as kind of your own self-therapy? So, so when I look in retrospective, it, it also started, you're, you're right, it didn't start suddenly, okay, I'm going to write a book. It was more like an organic thing and realizing that like almost I was unconscious that I, I liked it and it helped me because I was already I started writing a, a blog uh, in fact before I came to Japan like I started writing a blog in my university time right okay and it was a time where there was almost no blogs it was the first wave like uh, you had to build your own server like so I was creating a blog also because I wanted to use my engineering skills, let's say. But then that forced me to start writing in the blog. And I was writing about like which books I was reading, for example. It was nothing like special, but I started having the sense that people were coming to my blog and started building a community which right. that was very beautiful. I started to feel like, oh, 
internet is the most beautiful when you start having a community and then when i arrived to japan I, it, it totally changed the, what i was writing in the blog i was writing in the blog almost daily at least the first the first two years i was here in japan and i was writing in the blog uh, trying to understand japan because i didn't understand anything so if i was walking on the street and i found something strange like for example there is no trash cans on the streets in japan why is that then i start asking my japanese friends yeah and they all give me different reasons so i would write a blog post about about this and they would display me is because we had a, we had a terrorist attack in 1995 and they they put the it was because of the trash cans in a train station and then the japanese people tend to solve things very extremely like society so to solve the problem of having uh, terrorist attacks because of trash cans the japanese people decided to eliminate trash cans all around japan so that's for example one blog post that i would write and then i would start writing more like philosophical blog posts about different japanese words for example what is honne and tatenmae and this means Japanese have something called horne that it's like what you tell a friend uh, directly that it might be very harsh like you should I don't know you can tell your friend you should leave your girlfriend or your boyfriend that's very harsh but then you can also tell them the tatemai like tell them something soft and the Japanese use those a lot in communication in very weird ways that I wanted to understand so I wrote a blog post about that and then suddenly my blog became very popular in Spain it was one of the top 10 red blogs all categories wow. in Spain and what year was this about that was like 2005 2006 so it was very early, like it was before Twitter and Facebook okay so it was easier it was easy I don't know if it was easy, but certainly the barrier to be able to have a blog, you, you needed to have to have your like it was not easy as easy as today. Like you can create your Instagram and competition is huge. So I think it was kind of easy to be a top blogger in those times. But right. yeah, it's like something that happened. Um, and what was the blog called? blog was called a geek in japan in fact right okay so then one day i started looking i don't know how it happened but there were so many well talking about the writing there, there were so many blog posts that i put i just copy paste the best blog posts and put them in a word file and it, it has like 300 pages and i say oh this this is a book I was very naive. I thought like, okay, I have a book. Now what do I do? And then I exported to a PDF file and I, I sent to more than 50 publishers in Spain. And no one answered except one publisher. And that publisher 
I met them and we they they we signed the contract and they published my first book in 2008 which is called A Geek in Japan and that first book got translated to eight languages and is one of the it is still a top seller in the Japanese uh, section in Amazon wow and I recommend it is not I always tell you you should buy a guide to Japan and then my my book is like a complement that to not to guide you but to explain you Japan while you are traveling of those things that you don't understand it Amazing. will make you i think it will make you have a deeper un- understanding of what when you're traveling around Japan and yeah that was my first book and i realized like going back to the self therapy I was writing in my blog daily in the mornings and I realized that if I didn't write I felt different so that made me realize like okay I have to write every day and so with that blog and that daily writing it was something that you did kind of every morning when you woke up and it was something that you did almost that you noticed if you didn't do would kind of leave a bit of a kind of a different feeling in your day is that what you were saying yes it's like a different taste i don't know how to explain it but it kind of it gave me energy <laughs> it's kind of weird yeah like this thing is weird but i i was not aware of that i i think this is a reflection i've been having lately because i'm looking more at things that i do in my daily life that give me energy or remove energy from me so that's kind of like and i think for each of us that those things are different so it's is your journey to to discover those th- those things that give you energy and i mm. realized that writing gave me more energy than programming computers so that's where i started making the conscious decision okay, okay i'm going to shift my life to do to do more writing that that was the realization i think but you only realize these things by by exploring as you said absolutely you have to explore life and i think that's a beautiful way to look at it and i think for everyone they have different things that give them energy different things that make them feel uh focused or even alive and it sounds like um you know for you i mean this whole journey with writing was never kind of a master plan and even now kind of you know you know 10 years later 12 years later um you know you obviously recently written ikigai and i know you've written other books along the way and and you even spoke about it at the beginning of this were you know kind of giving us that understanding of what you know, i guess your ikigai is but even for you that that reason for being is you know is is something really beautiful i mean could you tell me the story of actually ikigai and you know what it actually means how it came to life and kind of you know what's become of all of it ikigai it is a japanese word that means the it's very difficult to translate but it roughly means what's the purpose of your life or what it is that brings you the most purpose to your life and in japanese you have just this word that is ikigai you don't need this full sentence or explanation 
which I think that makes it beautiful because you can you can say what's your ikigai or what is my ikigai and I thought like okay these words should be not only for the Japanese it should be known for to, to, to everyone in the world and that's one of the main reasons I wrote the book Ikigai which is the first now there are more than I counted more than 50 books about Ikigai but the, the one I wrote was the, the first and why like the, the word Ikigai was already in my mind like for many years but I didn't know how to I, I didn't know okay this is not I thought okay this is just one word is not enough for a book but I was wrong I guess <laughs> it was it's enough for many books <laughs> and what what happened is I think you know I have to go back in time like when I was 31 I I, I got this very uh, I suddenly fell ill for those of you who know about illnesses it's an interesting illness called IBS and it's the type that is called SIBO S-I-B-O it's not it will not make you die but it, it makes you feel like you are dying so I felt really bad for months and yeah I would say years and doctors could not help me and I was reading many books about how to solve it and that's that's uh, my technique always to read books to solve problems and I also realized that didn't work and then I started trying many things like for example meditation and alternative ways to try to heal me and that's something that started to help me and another thing that started to help me is like reading books about purpose like even feeling bad having a great purpose in life you can you can bear anything I think that's also true now for everyone who is going through hard times if you have a very strong you ikigai a purpose in life it's okay whatever it happens to you well it's, it's not okay but it's more bearable I would say so that was the the sparkle in my heart like okay I need uh, in fact, I wrote Ikigai for myself to, to try to connect with my Ikigai. Does it make sense? So it's a book for myself. And I think that's why it resonated with... I still don't know why, why it is so popular. Right. Because... But I think it resonated with, with many people. So you never really wrote the book for it to be a big book you just wrote it for yourself no in fact yeah it was like in fact like to put the whole story together those times that there was a friend coming to Tokyo every once every year called Francesc he is the my my co-author for Ikigai and he's a very famous novelist in Spain which he he's also a therapist in Spain so he's the like we were walking in a beautiful garden in Tokyo and I was telling him about all my pains in my in my 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 tummy in my intestine and what I was going through 
and I explained him about the meaning of Ikigai, the Ikigai word. And then at the end of the walk, we decided to write a book. He thought he, he told me like we should write a book together to heal you. And it didn't it didn't heal me completely, but it helped me a lot to shift my life in a different direction. And so that's that's how it happened. And we went, Francesca and me, we went together to Okinawa to the village of the longest living in the world. And we asked more than a hundred elders, like we asked them what their ikigai was. We asked them about their lives. What would they advise everyone to do in their life? This is people who were more than a hundred years old. And we put all those lessons together in the book Ikigai. Amazing. And how did you do that? Did you just walk through town, stopping people on the street? Ah, no, that's not, that's not, it's not as easy to do that. In Japan, you have to always go through the gatekeepers, which in uh, Ogimi, it was the different people in the, how do you say, in the city hall and arrange everything beforehand. And we were there more than one week. And in fact, I've, I've been there now. We've been there again several times. Now they have the Ikigai book now everywhere in the town. It will not town, it's a little village, 2,800 people. And they have it in the, they have the book now in the touristic association. They have it in the city hall. They have the book in the supermarkets. Wow. It's the book of the town. Yes, it's a a weird loop. Like we we wrote it and they're very proud of it. Amazing. And so just with your book, and obviously, you know, I have it and I've read through it and you've told me about it. I mean, you know, and even looking kind of at the back cover of the book and, you know, within it, I think it so beautifully lays out this idea of what you love, what you're good at what you can be paid for, what the world needs. And I mean, for me, what I take away from this kind of idea or this kind of direction is that we, to find a sense of purpose is to notice and to recognize and to become aware, all right? To aware of a lot of things in your life. And I think maybe what you did in a very simplistic way for yourself, that sense of healing through writing uh, has resonated you know, hugely around the world. And, and I know you'll, you'll never be, you know, the one to say this, but you know, this book I think has had huge impact on people. And I know you told me it was kind of, you know, the, 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 the biggest selling book in India and it's been translated more than any other book, um, you know, in Spain. And it's had this huge kind of cultural, um, you know, power to create a, a shift of awareness for people that I think is so, so, um, you know, so impactful right now. I mean, and I know it would have never been in any master plan or wild imagination to have this um, kind of popularity with, with a book. But I guess for me, my question for you is, I mean, what, what has been the biggest shift for you since writing this book? Mm, for me, I don't know. <laughs> for me. 
I don't like if it's about talking like about the success of the book. I still don't know what to make of it. Um, I've been thinking a lot about it, but I, I, it's a difficult thing to wrap my wrap my, my mind around it. But I think one one of the things that it's in my mind is like. I have a sense of responsibility, I think, that I must, I have to keep writing books because it's somehow, I still don't, I have lots of, yeah, I'm going to, I have lots of imposter syndrome. Like people, people think that because you are, you have a successful book, then you are, you're kind of like, okay, you are a writer, but I still feel like now every day when I see the white page, I still feel like okay, it's like starting from a, from zero again, which is, I think it's hard in a, in one way, but it's also beautiful in another way, mm. because you feel I like the feeling of of feeling like a like a kid every day, like exciting. Okay, now I'm going to write, and I don't know what's going to come out of my mind. So that's very, yeah, that's a sense of responsibility. And what do I have changed? This is a question always that maybe I will ask you a few years from now how I, I have changed. It's a question that you have to ask to your friends always. I think my friends would answer this question better than me. I don't know how I have changed, but I think I'm becoming more uh, aware of how I think this is not of because of the book, but there is something beautiful. There's many people criticizing Instagram, but I think there is something beautiful about Instagram because it's helping me to connect to all the readers of the book Ikigai around the world and realize how it's helping everyone. Which for for a writer this is kind of a new thing. Writers twenty years ago, they never. In fact, for me, like when I wrote a geek in Japan, it was very difficult for me to see. You see the book sales. They say, okay, the book has sold ten thousand copies, and you you imagine in your brain abstractly, okay, these ten thousand people, somewhere, and you start visual, but it's an abstract number. It's like numbers now for the. I'm going to talk, I shouldn't talk about the coronavirus, but it's like numbers, like, okay, there's all these numbers of people who, it's an abstract thing in your mind, very difficult to visualize. And when you are an, I think this is true for any artist, like if you're a musician and you put your music out there, if you don't play live, you don't see your people and it's more, much more, I think it's much more rewarding to do a live. And for a writer, it's much more lonely thing because you write something, you might have tens of thousands of readers, but you don't know them until you do a book presentation and there is like 100 people there. They're like, okay, there is people there reading me. But Instagram has made me realize that like daily, like there is literally hundreds of people posting pictures of the Ikigai book and reading it and saying, it's changing my life, which at the beginning it was very, 
weird to I didn't know how what to make of it Instagram has made me realize okay words are powerful and I should be yeah it's like it's important to write beautiful things uh, I think it's not only about writing but any type of art if there are artists listening to this podcast think that the art that you make or anything that you're making is having an impact for good in in the world and i'm thinking also in retrospect not only about art but engineering and people who work in startups or it companies you create software that is useful for people you are changing even if you change someone's life like one percent that might be that might be critical to to make the world a better place so that's that's something that i think i've changed like i didn't really believe that a single like all human beings we have the power to change the world a little bit it's not like change the world like a huge like you have to donate millions of dollars somewhere if you help for example your friends on whatsapp with you send them beautiful messages today that might be that might be enough for today to help the world yeah and i think that's a really beautiful thing to remember always and I, and i think regardless if you know it's someone like yourself who's a writer or if you know someone else is an artist of a different medium or if you are a computer person or if you are a school teacher it's you know it's just remembering how impactful your life has changed because of someone else or something else and to to bring that into the spirit of the work that we do and the communities that we're a part of and I, and I think what's been really special to hear you say is that you know that while you wrote ikigai and other books as as a way for yourself to heal and as a way for yourself to put some of your thoughts down on paper the way that uh it's been impacted around the world and uh, how people have had a moment to kind of really feel the value in it and you've been able to receive that back is, is a very special thing it's almost like the the healing and the support has come full circle that it started with something for yourself that then got put out into the world to help other people and then through the medium of instagram or emails or book presentations you know we see it come back and it it, it kind of shows how um you know everyone fundamentally at the essence of their life or this humanity that we're a part of especially now during this kind of uncertain time of how important it is to to be a part of something to have a community effect with with um with change and to do positive things that we can put out there into the world you know and so i thank you for that and i think it's a very uh, honest and beautiful way to talk about it i mean with your community and you know you know you've talked about it through instagram and book presentations do you, can you recall any like specific stories that or messages that you received about the book or about your work that uh, were really inspiring for you or very surprising for you or something that kind of really uh, kind of made you realize how, you know, how impactful the book has been? This might sound harsh, but the most, the first times I started getting messages of people who were considering suicide and 
after reading Ikigai, they remove that from their minds. And they, that's the most impactful for me. Because it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is real. Yeah, I think that, that's the most impactful for me. Yeah. And getting those messages is always difficult to answer, but I, I try to answer, I try to answer them. And that, that's one. And another one is like people making this. I don't know if this is good. Like people making really life-changing decisions after reading the book. That's another one. They decide to move to another country or they, they decide to quit their jobs or they decide to to create a side business or something as simple as start a new hobby and start uploading pictures to instagram of mm. their paintings for example there's lots of artists like i think artists li like the book uh, yeah that's that's beautiful I, I like artists when they read the book and you start seeing more of their art on instagram that's another thing i can see yeah and i think what what from what what i'm what i'm hearing in all this which is so very special is that the book and you and the way that you share your words are, are ultimately giving people a sense of support, right? A support to allow them to support themselves and to feel a sense of value and worth in their lives. And I think it's a very beautiful thing that you've done with the book. And I, and I, and I know as well that not just to define you by one singular piece of work, but I think the, the narrative that uh, that you share across all of your books and your writing and your personality and the way that you share is very supportive in you know encouraging other people to find their own courage and purpose in life, which I think is a very uh, important reminder, especially during these times right now um, when the world is in, in a different shape than, than it was. Thank you. Thank you. So... What what is what is life like right now for you? I mean, what is what is Japan like? What's going on uh, this week? I mean, what's uh, what what's happening in your world? So in my in my world, I think now the world of everyone is becoming very similar, right? So it's like I being at home now. Let me check. In fact, for, for Japan has been longer than in other places. So I've been now at home uh, more than, I think, 10 weeks since the middle of February. Uh, so I have a very, in fact, I like, for me, it's kind of easy because I like routine and being at home. But even for me, I think I was telling you the other day mm -hmm. that for for me, it's like, even if you like something and you, if they tell you that you cannot do something, we are humans and then you want to do it. So <laughs> now I feel like I'm not a party guy, but I'm feeling like, okay, now I want to be invited to some party and have fun for, with friends. But this is something that I might not do if I'm, <laughs> it's like when you tell they tell you that you cannot, then you want to. That's kind of yes. my my feelings now but so far yeah that's how in life at home very i'm trying to exercise like to keep 
yeah the body and mind to get and keep my routine of writing but something i realized now talking like about creativity like because my days look all very similar i noticed that my creativity is going down a lot and i'm not feeling even creative so i'm i'm thinking metal i don't know if this happens to all other people listening to the podcast if you are artist or a creator i think it's very important to have different stimulation stimulation in life like meet people travel see different things and now be, being at home i try to feed my creativity by reading books for example and i think talking talking to people like you this is going to probably give me some ideas maybe tomorrow in the morning you will put something in my subconscious like so i think to 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 have creativity is very important to to feed yourself with different things and when you are all day at home it becomes difficult and yes i think the japan it's interesting to see how each culture reacts to to this thing and japanese people are used to deal with i also went through the fukushima disaster in 2011 and the way the people reacted it kind of and the government and everything it kind of reminded me a lot of what happened in fukushima which is a very people are generally much more obedient than in other places there mm-hmm. is also lots of people who are who are not i think japanese are also humans so there is also lots of people not following the what we are supposed to do and an interesting thing here is like you don't get uh, i'm looking at spain in spain which i know like if you if you don't follow the rules you get fined in japan you don't get fined but there is this thing this is japanese culture you will they kind of publicly shame you mm. you will be you will be on tv like they, they catch someone doing a barbecue next to the river and they shame him on national tv like this is the guy who was doing the barbecue so right. i found i always find a way to uh, to to learn about this this is very this is a very very deep subject of japanese culture like the we have one of the ways to differentiate japanese culture from i would say other cultures in europe is like japan is a culture about guilt and no the reverse japan is about shame Mm. people and they don't do bad things because they are scared of being shamed and in Europe, I think is big. Uh, we are more prone to not do something because of guilt. Of so if we do something bad, like we will feel guilty. Yeah, it's a very different mindset, and this is showing now in these times. Like Japanese people also do like they they don't follow the rules. Some of them, and it's they use shame for it for it. 
to de to deal with it. And one thing that I think they do better than in other places, it's uh, they use masks, which is something that the Japanese do even without the coronavirus. They wear masks, like not all of them, but many of them. So, and I think that's one of the things that has helped a lot uh, here to not to it's bad here in Tokyo but it's not as bad it's like as bad as in in Spain for example or in other places in Europe sure and I know I mean at this time right now obviously lots of things around the world are, are, are very unsure and you know regardless of the country that you're in or the culture that you're a part of you know everyone has having this really unique moment of perspective and i think maybe what you speak of so well in your book in ikigai that sense of finding your purpose i think there's probably likely a lot of people you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast a lot of people kind of just at home right now who are kind of uh questioning what their own purpose is and questioning um kind of what to do with this time and i mean i from, think i think it's it, yeah, I think it's a perfect time to think about this question. And where would I mean where do you, where do we start with that? I mean, you know, how do we actually put the practices or the, you know, how do we kind of look towards what our ikigai is, you know, aside from maybe just reading your book from start to finish? I mean, what personal practices or things have helped you or do you kind of share of where to start with all of this? If someone's really going, what should I do? What What is actually my purpose in all this? Now, I think it's a perfect time to think about this because maybe when you're all busy every day and working and then planning your next holiday and making money and taking care of your family, you, you, don't, you don't even have time to, to think about your ikigai. And now you're kind of at home. If you're lucky that you can work from home, you might be making money, but you cannot even plan your next holiday because there might not be a next holiday. You cannot go to have dinner outside. So you are kind of, you, you enter this mind space where you are thinking deeply, okay, so why, why am I working? I'm really working just because for my next holiday, it, get, it gets weird if you start thinking like everyone is different the situation now, but even I am thinking, okay, why I'm doing all this? What's the real reason why, why I'm doing everything that I'm doing? That's a question that you should ask yourself. And asking the question is easy, like what is the reason why I'm doing all the things that I'm doing? But answering it is not, I recognize that this is not easy and it's okay if, if you cannot answer it. it. That's the first thing to realize. You, you don't have to, you don't have to get stressed over this question. In fact, if you don't know how to answer the question, then you might create, it's a meta answer, your ikigai. If you don't know what your ikigai is, your ikigai should be to to find your ikigai. Okay, so now that for those of you who don't know who what your ikigai is, your ikigai is finding your ikigai. And to find it, 
you can use many techniques and one of the techniques is what you i think is what you teach people is to become more aware and to learn more about how to notice things in life mm. and there is this thing i don't know if it's a technique but i like doing like you you write down uh, every day at the end of the day you write uh, three things that gave you the most energy that you did over the day and three things that kind of like removed energy from you and it can be very different things like okay one like it can be playing with my kids gave me lots of energy and another one can be having this meeting with these people like destroyed my energy levels or it can be the reverse like you could be a person who loves having meetings or doing sales all of us we are different so the results might be very different depending on the person but after you do this for 15 days you will find patterns in what those three things are that give you the most energy and the ones that remove the most energy from you so after 15 days you look at the list and suddenly you will realize okay yeah you, you, i hate doing this and then then when you you realize that there is a pattern in the things that delete energy from you then you you have to start making small adjust, adjustments in your life this also depends on your personality if you like making a huge change then just go and do it my personality is more like making small adjustments so i have more time to do the things that give me energy and uh, try to remove the things that don't give me energy uh, yeah that's this is one of the techniques that i think is very pragmatical yeah uh, i really you love start that doing this when you start doing this you will start I also see Ikigai, when you don't have a very clear Ikigai, I think there, there's some people who are very lucky and when they are five years old, they start playing the piano and they play piano until they are 80 years old. Mm -hmm. But I looked at the data and that's, that's only true for less than 1% of humans. Most of the people, they study something at university and I think the data was like more than 80% of the people they end up doing things in life that are totally different and i think that's the beauty of it like you start jumping until you find something that you really like so i think with these tools to start noticing it's not like you find like a one clear ikigai but your heart will be more near what like you can see ikigai also as a as a compass that your heart is more aligned with the compass of your ikigai. Yeah. And do you believe that your ikigai can change and evolve over time? Or once you find it, it is so strong that it will keep you there? That, that, also, dep I, that also depends on the person. I think for me, it's evolving. Um, it also depends on the phase of your life. If you are now raising a family, I believe your guy should be to raise to be a good parent, for example. So there, there are different 
there's different phases in life and it's okay it's okay if your ikigai changes and you're aligned with your and in fact you can have two ikigais or you can you can prepare for what's after you raise your parent your kids one common thing i also realize with my readers of my book there's many people who buy ikigai when they're in their late 50s and 60s and the beginning of their 60s because something that happens is that in fact there is research that that may says that this is true like if you if you read when you retire the, the probability of you falling ill and dying goes up and it's a contradiction and this is also like for spanish people like me our dream is to retire and do nothing mm. and i was totally wrong like like retiring we should never retire in the strict sense of doing nothing we have to be ready to what what is it after you you have to have something so strong to hold you when you retire like something that you really really love doing and keep doing that don't don't ever retire from from that does it make sense that it will hold you yeah something that keeps you focused and passionate in the times that we are now if you have something very very strong that holds you you will be happy at home staying at home i think the people who are struggling the most is if you don't have something that to hold you and you're just doing nothing and then you feel like everything is meaningless and you're kind of yeah watching tv so yeah, sure. that, that's that's one i think it, it it can change you can have many icky guys the, the the real key is to be to be near your to be the uh, aligned and, and connected with i think at the end everything comes up with who you are and that's also a very difficult question to answer like is the main question in our lives who, who we are and that's a self-discovery and the worst is when you are you don't know yourself and you are doing you're doing things in life that are totally against your nature just because i don't know society told you or just because you want to please your friends or you want to please your boss or you believe you have some beliefs because of your it might be your family who you were raised and born and put some beliefs in your mind and you believe you're living a life that is not your life i think that's the worst uh the rest like you can have many guys one guy and change your guy but be be aligned with the most the, the, the do the best that you can to align your life with who you are and not did not live the life that that others are telling you to live yeah well i totally believe that and and i think it's a beautiful way um to to see the world and we have to really be uh you know brave enough to follow that which we're passionate about and to allow our attention to be focused on the things that give us energy and i think that practice that you shared is a really beautiful way to um, use some of the time that we have now at home to take notice and become more aware of what gives us energy what takes it away what gives us dedication and focus and passion and what kind of keeps us 
uh, alive uh, and and uh, creative in these times. So it's a very um, it's a very great way to remind ourselves of this. And another, and uh, sorry to, I have another idea that is very good for these times. In fact, I did like yesterday. I started drawing in my in a notebook. Uh, that I think it was fun to draw because I remember yeah. I think a good a good exercise too that is to to remember things that you enjoyed when you were ten or fifteen years old, but you somehow stopped doing them in your later in life. Um, mm -hmm. For me, for example, is drawing. Like I loved drawing when I was ten or fifteen years old, and there are so many things that when when we are kids that we we i think we instinctively like do things that we 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 like when you are young and then when we get older we stop doing many things because of like yeah we are busy and so another exercise is to maybe bring back some of those things that it's been maybe 20 years since you last did and now you have so much time at home. It might be, I don't know, playing music. It might be drawing. It might be anything that you loved when you were a kid. You can bring it back to your life and maybe, I don't know, it would be, it can become part of your Ikigai or not. And that, that's, yeah. another, that's another technique, like bring back like lost hobbies that you had when you were younger. Yeah, and I think what's nice about that is just to remember the things that brought you joy earlier in your life that then maybe got put into the background as you had to become an adult or do more things or be have a plan. And I think it's a beautiful thing to remember and to remind ourselves. I mean, my, my question for you as we start to wrap up our, our conversation here, Hector, is, I mean, where you are right now in your life and with the things that you're doing and what you're focused and passionate about. What is your Ikigai right now? Now my Ikigai is writing. And to have a better, I call it an Ikigai statement, to have a better, you have to add some meaning to it. It's not just writing. It has to be, for me, it would be, it would look like write the best I can so I can inspire other human beings to be the best that they can to be better human beings and help them. Amazing. So that's that's the full sentence of like it's not just writing like okay that's uh, and that connects the four circles that you were talking about before because it's also how you can help the world. So yeah, I I write uh, the best I can so I can inspire people to be better human beings and help them. That's my Ikigai. And that's a beautiful way to uh, to have purpose. And I do want to say how much I appreciate our conversations and our time together. And, and I say this uh, very hopefully that we have many more conversations like this together, whether it's on podcasts like this but kind of more just between the two of us to catch up to to connect and to share uh, i think that the work that you do is um, hugely profound in the way that you share it around the world but even more than that i think who you are is uh, beautifully inspirational and 
Uh, and I think, you know, meeting you and speaking to you and hearing about all of your work and your philosophies on Ikigai and, you know, how we can spend our time right now is such a nice reminder for me and hopefully for so many people that uh, we all have within ourselves an opportunity to explore our purpose and to find it in time, but to also have time to discover new creativity and new ways to spend our time to be a person of impact, of positivity, of, of forward progress. And I think uh, listening to you and chatting to you now, it just kind of says all of that in one when you know when we have time to 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 share some words together so thank you so much thanks to you and i have maybe it's a question but maybe it can be homework for you you can also okay. say what what is your ikigai and put it in a sentence a long sentence if you cannot answer now it will be homework for next next time and i also homework for everyone listening yeah i mean i think for me even before i would i heard about the word ikigai i mean this this aspect of having purpose and the aspect of kind of you know what 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 is what is it that we can be um uh offer or be of service to um in in different practices and maybe more other traditions we would call seva the 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 practice of service what is your service to the world um, which will come from more kind of um, Vedic and Hindu traditions. For me, you know, these days as someone who spends time, um, you know, as a teacher, as a writer, as a, someone within a community here, uh, it very much for me is about uh, uh, creating and celebrating ways that we can come together to give people a sense of belonging and for me, that that means focusing on ways that we can do that online or offline, ways that we can have community that extends outside of just being in the same room together, which is really important now more than ever. And I feel over the past few years for me, that's been something that's been growing within me, something that has come to life through different projects and 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 kind of um, kind of moments. But I think for me, it's always been a sense of that, allowing people to feel like they belong without them uh, having to be defined necessarily by what their jobs are or what place they have in society or what role they take in the family, just to feel that they can be seen and they can be heard and to do my part to cultivate those environments or those moments where people can feel safe enough to feel like they're just a part of something. I think for me that kind of is where I believe or that I mean not kind of that that is for me what I believe my ikigai is which has you know taken a long time to evolve into beautiful how does that sound yes did perfect I, did I, perfect beautiful did I, did I, thank you okay yes, thank you and for I think sharing. it's a great question yes, uh, thank you so much for asking yes, and I think it's a great question to leave this on as we wrap up this podcast yes. which is you know the, the question from from Hector the question that we that I'd love to ask all of you um, is you know what is your ikigai you know what is it that gives you purpose and as 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 we talked about and as Hector mentioned so beautifully you don't have to have an answer right now you can take time to explore it to understand it, to figure it out, to feel it. And in doing so, ultimately all it does, it gives us a sense of awareness and relationship and connection to our lives that hopefully 
allows us to create a sense of purpose and impact and positivity. And so we'll leave it there today in this conversation. I know for me personally, you know, we could probably chat for hours on loads of different things. And and I look forward to doing that more as the months and the days and the years go on, regardless of what's going on out there in the world. Um, so I wanted to thank you, Hector, um, for, for joining us on this episode of the podcast. And um, is there any last uh, last thoughts or things that you wanted to share? Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And I wish you all like uh, like a happy Ikigai finding. And if you already know it, that's beautiful. If not, remember that from now on, your Ikigai should be to find your Ikigai. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful way to close. So thank you guys so much for listening in to this episode of The Quiet Life with Hector Garcia. Um, and if you want to find out more, um, obviously you're, uh, you know, you're encouraged to go out there and, you know, get a hold of, of some of his books. I'm sure they're easy to find uh, on the internet. Um, you know, the a Geek in Japan, his first one all the way to his most recent one of Ikigai, and there's, there's other books in between. Um, Hector, you also have other places that people can connect to. I know you have a newsletter and Instagram. I mean, what are those places that people can connect with yeah, you if they're the- interested? On Instagram, it's Ikigai Book, everything together. And on the internet, my website is hectorgarcia.org. And there's a newsletter there and all the books listed. But the, the easiest is to go to Amazon and put my name there, Hector Garcia, and it will show up. My la- The latest book is called Ichigo Ichie and maybe we can talk next time about that that's a different concept that maybe you know more about it than me maybe you have to teach me it's about being present in the in the in the now amazing thanks well I look forward to us having more conversations about that book and that topic and I know I can always learn a lot and be inspired by you So thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you guys at home or wherever you are in the world for listening in on this episode as we discussed more about finding your purpose and looking at ways that we can live our lives uh, in a way that we can be inspired and creative and have a a reason for being. Uh, As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do us a favor and go on to Apple Podcasts to rate and review it, to like it, and to support it. It only helps to share and spread the word about what we're doing in these times of uncertainty to amplify conversations with inspiring and impactful people doing their part to support us all. Uh, Thanks again to Hector for being a part of today's episode. And as always, if you wanted to follow along on all the things going on in my world, it's Michael James Wong on Instagram, as well as following along on Just Breathe at Just Breathe or checking out the website justbreatheproject.com with lots of things around mindfulness in the real world. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you soon on the next episode of The Quiet Life.